I'm very pleased to welcome today Hannah Virkunen to talk about what we can do to accelerate digitalization and the payoff from all the investments we're making into our digital infrastructure in Europe. Hella is a member of the European Parliament and its committees on industry and transport and tourism. Before becoming an MEP, Hella was a member of the Finnish Parliament and also held several ministerial positions in the Finnish government, including Minister for Education and Minister for Transport. So Hella, you're very much welcome to this webinar. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you and happy to discuss about digitalization also. And that's really what we're going to do in the next hour. And of course, there are many different aspects of our digital future and Europe's policy for digitalization that I want us to talk about. But I want to start us off with the current state or pace of digitalization in Europe. While we're often talking about how fast that digitalization is rippling through our societies, it's also possible to take the opposite view and say that Digitalization isn't progressing as fast as it could or as fast as we thought it would be progressing. A decade ago, for instance, we were told that we soon would have self-driving vehicles on our road and that our traffic infrastructure would be smart and digitalized, allowing for a much better use of our road infrastructure. But this isn't actually the reality today and perhaps it's not the reality anytime soon either. So I want us to start off this discussion by talking a bit about your view. I mean, are you frustrated about this slow speed of digitalization or do you think we are moving perhaps even too fast with our digitalization? Yeah, I, I don't think that we are moving too fast. I've, I'm a little bit disappointed, for example, with these automated vehicles because I had very high expectations about five years ago when everybody were waiting for that very soon we will have automated vehicles on our roads. And there was many pilot projects going on and so on, but uh, very much haven't happened anyway during these years. And even now when we say that, what is also true that during the COVID-19 crisis, it has been very big boost to digitalization in all the sectors. Like we, we know uh, remote working and also in education and all online shopping and everything like that has been growing very, very fast. But anyway, I don't think that the pace is, is too fast. But of course, then when we look at how the people, how they are prepared for that, of course, there is also big differences. I think for many people anyway, even if I think that we are moving too slowly, for many people, I think it has been, anyway, the development has been quite fast. If they don't have the sufficient skills, for example, and we know that the working life, it has been changing very, very fast. And, uh, for example, nearly everybody needs to have some kind of digital skills today in the working life. And anyway, we know that about 30% of the Europeans who are working, they don't have that kind of skills that they should have. So I think for many people, anyway, there is coming a lot of pressure that they should have better skills and knowledge about digitalization. But then if we look the opportunities we have from the industrial side or from the transport side, the pace could be much faster also. So I think there is a different perspective. So I think there is a lot of opportunities, possibilities, we should boost 
the digitalization fund. In the same time, we should look that nobody isn't left behind, that all the people, that they, they are also prepared for the digital future. And that is not the case nowadays. Of course, there's also big differences between member states. I'm coming from Finland and Finland is the country where if we look to European surveys, we can see that the citizens in Finland, they have the best digital skills in Europe. So they are quite well prepared for that. And also, if we look how much ICT professionals there is, uh, if we are comparing it to a whole our workforce in Finland, also, this is the biggest, biggest number we have them. So I think in Finland, the people, they are quite well prepared for that, but not in all the member states. Yeah. And would you say sort of your Finnish experience, does it come because you've had lots of investment into human capital, digital human capitals, that you have sort of people with skills, they get training in how they can work with digital services or new technologies into production, or, or is it other factors that are important in order to understand why Finland and, of course, several other countries as well, are perhaps embracing digital change more than what we see in other parts of Europe? Yeah, I think in Finland, the main reason is, of course, coming from our history and culture, because in Finland, we haven't had really any other resources, only human resources. And that's why Finland was a very poor country 100 years ago. And that's why we decided that we are very much in the investing to education and we want to educate everybody and we want to have very equal system for that. So I think it's main reason behind that, that we have tried to educate all the people all over Finland, even if they are coming from the poor environment or if they are living in countryside or so on. So there isn't big differences. And then also during the 1990s, banking sector was in big troubles in Finland and they were in the way they wanted to be more efficient and they wanted to digitalize everything. And I think the banking sector was really, you know, teaching the people in Finland how to use internet banking. And that's why everybody started to use internet because they were in the way forced to that also. And in the same time, Nokia was having very big investment boom and the mobile phones were invented and so on in Finland. So I think it was giving a big boost for the digitalization in, in Finland. And that is maybe the main reasons why I think the people here, they have quite good digital skills. They have good education. And then the banking sector has been pushing them also 25 years ago to use internet. And then Nokia was also one, I think, explanation. And then, of course, we have been always educating here very much engineers. So also that's the reason why we have so much ICT professionals in Finland. When we look at Europe and bo both looking at sort of ICT skills and we look at ICT performance, we can see that there is a pretty big difference between, on the one hand, big multinational firms that are often very competitive. They operate on global markets. They attract talent and professionals from all around the world. They have, they invest a lot in technology and tend to be sort of at the frontier of where the technological development is. And I think that is true for not just ICT companies, but also for typical industrial firms in Europe that have, you know, gradually become very professional in using technological opportunities and digital opportunities. But then we have, at least so it seems to me, sort of a, a pretty big gap between them and the SME sector where we have of course, and in Europe, we have a disproportionate high number of SMEs companies since uh, 
they employ a lot of people and there is a tradition in many European countries that they want to encourage the SME sector and make that larger. But that SME sector seems to struggle a bit when it comes to adopting and using the opportunities that digitalization offer. Why, why do you think that's the case? I think SMEs, they are also in a way very divided here because then if we look the new SMEs, they are very innovative. Maybe the whole idea of their business model, it's based to digitalization. If we look the new starts up, startups and new SMEs, but then if you look those SMEs who are working, which are more traditional SMEs, often they don't have that kind of skills. Uh, the entrepreneurs, they, they have to, uh, all their energy is going to their everyday work. And if they are not very updated, what is going on in the digital world, and they don't know about the opportunities and they don't have that kind of uh, staff who has the uh, digital skills, then they are often lagging behind. And I think this is something where all the member states, they should uh, pay attention now, especially when we speak about the recovery package now and to where we should invest in, in Europe. I see that one special sector should be supporting the SMEs in their digitalization. And I think it's, it's very much about the skills, investing to education and skills of the people who are working in SMEs, but also have to help them, for example, use the possibilities of e-commerce and also, of course, uh, they need to have uh, very modern connections also. This is especially the SMEs which are not uh, in the city centers, which are maybe in the rural area. Often also the connections are not very good. So I think investments to infrastructure, they are also needed here when we speak about how to boost the digitalization and the role of SMEs there. So I think the the main Maybe there's like three pillars. They need to have modern and smart infrastructure and connections. They have to have educated, skilled people working there. And then, of course, the business model of the SMEs, it has to be also looked at the way that what kind of opportunities digitalization is giving there. And then they often need some help from the experts that they can see the possibilities. I'm also... For example, if I'm looking how small percent of the SMEs are, for example, using the opportunities of e-commerce, it's still, I think, quite low. Even when we have been now speaking during the last year that because of COVID-19, now it has been big boost for all the e-commerce sector, but it's still very small percent of the SMEs who are really using all these opportunities. Maybe they are marketing the internet, but they don't have that kind of e-shopping opportunities yet. And there they need some help. And by skills here, what are we talking about sort of when it comes to providing skills? I noticed the other day, for instance, that in Germany alone, there is a shortage right now of roughly 160,000 computer engineers, sort of vacancies where people are looking for staff and they can't sort of uh, find people to employ them and i would imagine that we have similar type of vacancies or shortages around europe and i would also imagine that smes would suffer more from that than big companies because usually going into a big company may be a little bit more attractive it's easier for a big company to attract staff that comes from another part of the world than it is for an sme so is it sort of higher education and these type of skills that we should predominantly focus on? Or do you also have in mind other type of skills or other forms of education that is necessary in order to equip 
European labor and European SMEs with the right type of, of knowledge? Yeah, I think this is, of course, also a very challenging topic when we speak about European level on the skills, because we know that this is very much competence of the, all the member states. They have a little bit different educational system, all the member states. But I think, uh, anyway, all the member states have, in a way, they have the same challenge that they don't have enough possibilities for the adults to update their skills. Because we know that the working life, it's developing very, very fast. And it's not enough anymore that you have once get good education because you need to update your skills, whole your working career. And uh, if you are working in a big company, like you said, maybe the company is giving opportunities for you. But then there is many, for example, SMEs who don't have the same possibility to educate the, the people who are, who are working for them. And that's why also the role of the public sector is very important here, that what kind of educational system there is and who is having the responsibility of that. And I think the responsibility should be in the way it's... Uh, for us as individuals, we have to take care of that, that we are, we are updating our skills. But also, I think uh, it's the employer also who have to take care of the companies of that. And then also the public sector is having a role here. So I think all the member states, they should a little bit also modernize their educational system for today's needs. And because, uh, like you said, uh, there is a lot of needs to have really experts of ICT. For example, when we speak about AI or cybersecurity, we know that we are really lacking talented people here in the workforce. But in everywhere, the people anyway need to have some kind of digital skills. So I think in all the levels, we should take care of the quality of education and we should especially look now the digital part on, on that. But it really varies that what kind of needs there is. And I think that is something that all the member states say should really pay attention now that what kind of skills are, are needed and to where they should invest. But I think on general level, I think we should invest to all levels of education. Because, for example, when we look at our teenagers, that is also a big challenge that about 20% of them they have uh, uh, not good skills in reading or mathematics or science. And of course, it's very problematic if you are 15 years old and you don't have uh, good skills on those basic things. So it's very difficult to continue your education and uh, find your place in the, in the working life. So I think basic education, of course, it's the basis for everything, the quality in there. But then also everything after that. Better quality is needed there. Yeah, indeed. Let me come back to something you said initially, and which I think was an interesting observation you made, looking at sort of the past year with COVID, how we have seen a boost to, I mean, with remote working, with e-commerce, etc. And perhaps sort of we have caught up with the pace that we were hoping for with digitalization there. But then we have sort of areas or sectors where the pace of digitalization isn't going so fast. You mentioned initially transport as being one of them. And of course, this is a very capital intensive type of area. So in order to get the change needed, it's probably going to take many, many years to do it. Are there other areas, other sectors that we should be perhaps more occupied with when it comes to understanding what is holding back 
digitalization. I mean, one area that I've been thinking quite a lot about and worked on is on healthcare, where there seems to be sort of a general problem in most countries' healthcare systems with lack of digital integration across healthcare entities. With telemedicine, there are problems sort of getting to the point where we can find sort of systems for having more of a digital-based contact with patients. We have issues around the fact that we all, or at least many of us now, we collect a lot of health data about ourselves, and we don't really know what, what we're going to do with them other, other than keeping track of how fast we are running or how fast we are cycling and see if we've improved. But sort of we have lots more health data that also could be used by healthcare systems or others in order to get sort of a better diagnosis or a better health profile of any prospective patients. So what's your view on this, both on sort of, are, do you agree with me, is healthcare one of those areas where we need to do a lot more? Are there other areas, other sectors that you're more concerned about where there is a slow pace of digitalization? Yeah, I agree very much that health sector and also transport sector, I've, I see that these both are the sectors where we should move much faster forward. But I think the biggest problem is like, what you mentioned already that the systems, they are not integrated. So there are so many different systems which are not like communicating together and we don't have interoperability there. So I think it's, it's the biggest obstacle there. For example, in the healthcare, of course, there is very much this personalized data and we have very, I think, tough data protection rules also in Europe, which I think that we should also look of course, we have to take care of the data protection, but we have also now so strict rules that often we can't use all the data, how we could use it for the new innovations, for example, because you need to have permission from the people of everything and you can't use the automatization behind there. So I think uh, we should also look this GDPR uh, from the angle of innovations because there is now some obstacles which were not maybe meant to be there when the GDPR was set it up, but now it seems that it's a little bit also hampering our innovations. But I agree that health sector is one where we have big opportunities and we should really streamline the you know, op operators there now a little bit that we could have more interoperability there and our systems, they should work better together because they are not working in the European level, but it's also the same problem in member states and even in the regional level that there's so many different operators and so many different systems that they are not working together at all. And in transport sector, I think also the last year has been, because of this COVID-19, it has been, uh, of course, very, very difficult for transport sector. And now it seems that Everybody is a little bit waiting with their new ideas and innovations because, of course, all the travel restrictions we have had between the member states and also in, in the cities and so on, it haven't been very, you know, good time for the new investments. And that's why I think many are holding back now and thinking a little bit that what kind of consequences there will be on this COVID-19 in the future, that how it will change the people's behavior. Maybe does it mean that there will, the people will work more remotely in the future? They are not moving so much in their everyday work and so on. But uh, I think in the transport sector anyway, we are facing very big challenges now because of the climate neutrality targets. And that's why in the next years, 
something very big boost are needed in the digitalization in that sector because digitalization can help so much in decarbonization of transport sector if we can plan all our logistics more efficient way for example a question here from the audience you spoke previously hannah about especially important to provide perhaps more rural communities or outside city areas with better connections better abilities or better opportunities to use the all the options that comes with digitalization. There's a question here about the digitalization in agriculture. If this is a sector that also should be prioritized in terms of increased digitalization, what do you say? Yeah, that's for sure. And I know that there is, you know, very, very high expectations on that sector. Now, for example, to AI, that how it can help also in agricultural sector in the future and what kind of innovations there could be. And of course, it means that we need to have very smart and modern infrastructure also in the rural areas if we want to take all these opportunities, what we have because of digitalization. Yeah, it's true that the agriculture sector, what we didn't mention before, it's one of the sectors where we have very much expectations that very much new ideas and innovations and investments could be made to agriculture sector on the digital field. Yeah. So let's move on a little bit in the discussion and look more to EU and what we can do at the EU level, uh, basically what, what policies that we should pursue in Europe to improve digitalization. There is a flurry of new policy initiatives coming from the Commission on issues like AI and platforms. We have the next generation EU, where there's going to be resources available to support digital investments in member states. So I wonder if we can talk a little bit about those initiatives. And, and I wanted to frame this question a little bit broader and start by asking, what would you say are the most important policies that we should pursue in Europe to speed up digitalization and make Europe also a world leader in the creation of new digital technologies? Yeah, I have been working very much these digital legislations during the last years. And for example, right now I'm the rapporteur in the industry committee on this Digital Service Act, which is quite an important regulation also. And I think uh, the main approach should be, I think, in Europe all the time that when we are regulating, we should be very innovation friendly all, always and because Europe is a little bit always having the challenge that we are easily a little bit over regulating and we shouldn't have too much administration and not too much bureaucracy and of course especially I'm thinking about SMEs because there's so much pressure now to SMEs with all this green deal and digital legislation that we have to be very careful here that we are not uh, setting obstacles for the new investments and innovations. So always when we are regulating, I think we should have very innovation friendly approach. And uh, it's, uh, it's challenging in the digital sector because uh, the sector is developing so, so fast and our legislation process is so slowly. So often um, we don't really see that what will come in the future and that's why at the same time we should be always very technology neutral and of course I've always liked this technology neutrality also when we speak about decarbonization because I think it's it's the same same thing that we shouldn't choose the winners and losers as the regulators so we should set the 
the targets and then the industry, they will find out that what is the best way to do this. So I think um, that that should be always the main main approach we have, that we should have always very innovation-friendly regulatory framework. But of course, regulation is just one one part of the European work, what we can do. I think other very important part, of course, it's the investments, that how we can boost investments in, in this area. And especially I'm thinking about infrastructure, that we should have very modern and smart infrastructure all over in Europe, in digital sector. And uh, that is not the case now. So big investments are needed. And then also the skills side. So we should invest in research and development and skills of the people. So I think these are the main tools we have in the European level. They are investments and then regulation. And regulation should be always very innovation friendly. In the digital sector, our main problem in Europe has been that earlier all the member states, they had their own regulations. And as you know, during the last years, we have been trying to create one digital single market to Europe. And um, still it's challenging. We have been removing barriers and we have been trying to create one digital single market. But often if European, if in European level we are moving too slowly, then the member states, they start to set up their own, own regulations already. And it's all the time hampering our digital single market. So we have, I think, the same battle going on all the time that we should have one European framework. Because it's important if we want to encourage the SMEs and startups to invest in Europe, then we should have one digital market for them and not so fragmented market like we have had. And if we start by looking then at, at sort of the regulatory side of what you just said, and perhaps start by, by discussing a bit on single market and digital single market. One of the things that surprised me a bit is that I don't very often see or hear about priorities to create or deepen a digital single market when I listen to or when I see new policy initiatives coming from the European Commission today. What's your view? I mean, are we, would you agree sort of that we are putting far too little efforts into what should be sort of a core backbone of the EU, which is to make sure that we have this market, single market opportunity available for us? Yeah, yeah, that's true what you said, because I think maybe it's a little bit forgotten. Maybe uh, the people think that we already have the digital single market, but we don't have it yet because often these regulations, they are just uh, uh, temporary uh, regulations. For example, like roaming. Now we have to do the roaming legislation again because it wasn't, you know, it was just done for a couple of years and so on. So we always have to start from the beginning again and again. But maybe... Maybe that's the reason because during the last term, it was one like main policy, digital single market policy. And maybe now many people think that we have achieved it already, that we, we have it, but uh, it's not really true. We still have to work for that every day. Indeed. What about artificial intelligence? I mean, I, I follow that the work that you've done in this area as well. And there was... Not that long ago, a, a new strategy coming out from the European Commission. Do you think, have they found the right balance in that strategy, whether on the one hand protecting what needs to be protected without creating too many barriers for development and for new innovation? Yes, I think they have found quite good balance, but I think still there is also some problems on that 
And especially because uh, I think that we shouldn't never regulate uh, technologies. And now we are a little bit trying to regulate AI, but AI is not one technology. No, it's a, there's many different technologies which can use different way. And also uh, if we are regulating one technology, AI, and now we are defining that what is AI, then it's giving possibilities for those who are not like defined as a AI that they don't have to follow the same, same rules. So I think uh, there is also problems in this cause we shouldn't regulate technology and uh, we should have, I think, a very good principle what we have had and what we are trying to have all the time is that we should have the same rules in uh, online world, what we have in offline world. And uh, I think we should also follow that with AI because nothing uh, what is, you know, what we shouldn't do in uh, real life, we shouldn't do it also in the artificial intelligence or the other systems which are maybe not artificial intelligence, but some other other technologies. But I, I think Commission has been doing good work with this uh, regulation, but uh, still I think there's some some parts which has to be a little bit improved and really because we shouldn't regulate technology. We should have the same rules and uh, it should be technology neutral and it shouldn't uh, mean anything if it's happening in online or offline world. We should have the same rules everywhere. Let's look then at the package of acts that the Commission has been proposing, one of which you are working very intensely on, which is the Digital Services Act, but that came along with um, the Digital Markets Act and before that the Governance Act. So what, what do you think about the balance here? Is it, I mean, in the first place, are we on the right track when it comes to addressing regulation of the big platforms? Are we finding sort of the right balance between openness versus regulation? Are we going too far, going too little? Yeah, I think there is, a, this is, I think, quite good package. And uh, that is also the feedback what we uh, get from the stakeholders here that they they are quite positive. In a way, I, I was also surprised because often the technology companies and uh, those platforms, they are very much against any any regulation. But I think now they have been quite positive on on this package because, no, of course, they were also expecting that some kind of regulation is, is anyway coming to be on the place in the future. And I think there was also very... Um, large uh, consultation rounds and I think the commission has been quite well also listened different views and different stakeholders and for example when we speak about this digital service act I think it's very important principle here that everything what is illegal in our offline world should be also illegal in the online online world when we look about services or products or the content. So I think it's clear rule. And also during the Christmas time and New Year's time, there was a lot of discussion coming from the USA about that President Trump was closed out from the Facebook and Twitter and so on. And I think it was also underlining the need to have also rules uh, in the legislation about this kind of cases, because also it's problematic for the big platforms that if they have to take all the responsibility and also it's only their terms and conditions 
can decide that kind of situation. So I think it's good that we have the most important uh, principles also in our legislation that what kind of rights the consumers are having and what is also the responsibility of the platforms because now it's sometimes a little bit unclear. So I think the balance is quite good. So more transparency here and same rules in offline and online world and the most important uh, rules now also to our regulation so that it's not only the platforms who can decide via their terms and conditions because those big platforms of course they are private companies but they are nowadays they are like uh, it's a public area because it's a place where all the people meet and that's why it's important that they follow the same rules that we have in our society they can't have totally different rules there so I think these regulations, they are, they are needed and they are quite balanced, the Commission's proposal. But of course, Parliament wants to improve them, that's for sure. Yeah, no, and that's, that, that's the role of the Parliament, isn't it? One thing I struggled sort of just to understand a bit with the Digital Services Act and picking up on what you just said there with what happened after the storming of the US Capitol in, in the beginning of January this year when... Twitter and Facebook, I think, didn't just cancel the account of the US president or the previous US president, but also lots of other accounts that had been in one way or the other affiliated with groups or causes that were uh, gathering in Washington that day. So we have in the Digital Service Act one part of it, which is sort of attempting to improve the situation for users. So if some content that you have uploaded on platform is taken down, you have the right to get an explanation. If your account is cancelled, if you've sort of had a takedown, you you can appeal. So that's that we have on the one hand. On the other hand, it also seems to me that there are new things in the DSA which also is pushing the platforms to moderate more than they are doing right now. And there are calls to have sort of systemic overviews on sort of more, sort of measuring systemic risks on platforms and Looking at what the big platforms are doing right now in, in this sense, it seems that they want to push them a little bit more towards moderation, not of things that are illegal, but things that may be illegal, could be illegal, or things that are legal, but they may be objectionable. Do you see sort of that there is a risk that this DSA is going to push the big platforms to, to moderate or censor more than, than they are doing right now? That is not not the idea anyway, because also we want to strengthen the freedom of speech also, and that is something we have to also take care of that they shouldn't we have to have a right balance here that we should make sure that illegal content and products they, they are removed, they shouldn't overreact here, and that's why I think it's important that we keep the line there what is legal and illegal, that we are not going to the area of harmful, because this is always the discussion that they should also remove harmful content, but I think we shouldn't go there. So it's important that we keep the line there, that just what is illegal, that should be removed. But uh, I'm sure that this will be, I think, a long discussion now during the next weeks and months also in, in the parliament and with the platforms also that what what all this needs but anyway i think more transparency it's good and then it's true that there is a very long list of different actions that what platforms should take and of course we have to also look at that that 
is it really needed that we have to list so so many different actions in in our regulation because we know that the platforms are doing it already in many ways and maybe it's not so natural for all of them to work uh, like that what we have been listing in in our regulation but uh, like you said it's important to find right balance here because we want to also very much support the freedom of speech and take care of that because like i said these are more and more like public spaces and the people they have to have their fundamental rights also respected here on the platforms you said, and this is something that I have noticed as well, that there are lots of commentaries coming on this sort of the Digital Services Act, but most of the big platforms tend to be very supportive. The concerns I hear are usually from smaller companies that think or hope that they can become sort of a big platform in the future, but they are not there yet. And they are afraid that when you are sort of putting more and more regulation onto the big ones. You cre you're creating basically a glass roof for for companies that wants to grow, but where the risks with growth becomes too big. So if you if you grow above a certain level of users, then you're exposed to a completely different type of regulatory structure than they have today. Big companies like you know YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, they have the resources and the legal expertise to manage these things. But for a small company, it's, it's pretty difficult and it's pretty risky then to to plan for growth. Do you see these type of problems as well? Yes, very very much because now all the discussion is very much focused to those big platforms, especially for those uh, social media platforms. But these regulations, they will have consequences to all the companies and also for SMEs. And there's also a long list of different obligations that will also touch the SMEs. And that is something I think we have to look very carefully here when we are making decisions on this regulation. Because, of course, this will have, the regulation will have a impacts to whole ecosystem and the SMEs are a very important part of that. Now uh, regulation said that uh, these very small companies and uh, micro companies that uh, or enterprises they are not included to this regulation but SMEs are, are very much and we shouldn't set too much uh, obligations for them. I also agree with that and we shouldn't have that kind of obstacles for them that they don't want to grow. At the same time, when we have to create level playing field and fair competition to Europe, it's important, especially when we speak about social media platforms. We know that many of them are coming from the USA. And when we speak about e-commerce, uh, most of the very successful operators are coming from the Asian countries now. And uh, that's why it's important that in the European markets, everybody should follow our rules and we have to have that kind of level playing field here and fair competition, but in the same time have to look that we are not setting uh, obstacles for our SMEs because we, we should also encourage them to grow and invest and innovate in, in Europe. So we have now next generation EU where the purpose is to give a lot of investment resources for digitalization and for greening, decarbonizing the economy. So this, of course, is up to member states to determine. But, but if you had the opportunity, what type of investments do you think are most important for Europe when it comes to digitalization? The question is, are we, are we talking about, is it transport investment we're talking about? Is it telecom infrastructure with better 5G or with that type of investments? Or are you talking about investments in, in human skills, building up, sort of supporting 
universities or schools or uh, systems for lifelong education? Yeah, there's, I think, two sectors of innovations to where, or investments to where we should focus in Europe. One is infrastructure. And I'm thinking there very much that we should also connect our transport parts and digital infrastructure and also energy infrastructure. So I think we need clean energy. We need modern digital infrastructure like 5G and gigabit connectivity to everywhere. And then we need very modern transport connections also. Especially I'm now thinking about railways and investing in high-speed trains in Europe. So I think investments to this very core infrastructure is needed. It's important uh, that we can reach our climate neutrality goals, but it's also important for our competitiveness and for our single market that we have better connected all Europe together with digital energy and transport infrastructure. So I think uh, that this is one field to where we should invest. And then another field is really the research and development and skills. So it's like Research and development in, in the companies, the innovations at the universities, and also the education and skills in all, all the levels. So I think this should be the main focuses in this uh, next generation EU. In the parliament side, we were very disappointed when uh, the member states, they decide to have that kind of package where the member states are like uh, having all, all the funding because uh, there is a risk that those investments are maybe not giving so much European added value. And that's why in the parliament, we would like to see that kind of model where we could have funded more our common European multi-annual financial framework, our EU budget, because there we know that those projects that we have there, they are really giving added value from the for whole Europe. So now we want to work carefully, look also the projects, what the member states are proposing, that there should be that kind of investments which are really creating European added value. And of course, there is now risks when we are spreading the money all over the Europe to different projects that are they that kind of projects which are really boosting our competitiveness and growth in, in European level. Two other questions, which I'm going to pack into one question. One is basically asking, is Europe a laggard technologically and in the digital economy compared to the rest of the world, and especially then advanced economies in the world? Another one asks about why it comes that we often look to United States or perhaps indeed China now when we try to understand sort of the benefits or the future of digital technology he says that every time I travel in South Korea, Japan, Singapore, and many of the countries that we're not talking about, that's when I see the future of the digital revolution. Because in transport and in life generally, that's where they have managed to digitalize their societies much more than we have in Europe. So what would be your comments here? I mean, are we in Europe a laggard? I mean, do we, should we take examples from perhaps countries like South Korea, Japan, Singapore, and many others that they may not have sort of the big social media platforms, but they have managed to achieve quite a lot in their societies through digitalization. Yeah, I think uh, all the areas in the world, they have maybe a little bit uh, different strengths. And I think Europe has also, we have also our strengths. And I, I think that in Europe, we have very, very strong uh, 
industrial background and we have very strong engineering in in Europe and uh, I think that we are also good in many many things but it's true that when we look about the transport sector or social media or e-commerce maybe we are not uh, moving so fast what we could but uh, I don't think that we have lost the the game yet so I think we have also our strengths, especially I'm thinking about our industry and our engineering in, in Europe. And I'm, I'm sure that we can also build our own, own success story here and our own, own way to work. But Europe should invest much more to research and development. I think that is something uh, what is maybe the most worrying thing from my, my side in, in Europe. Because if you look at those countries you mentioned, for example, South Korea or Japan, USA, all of them are investing much bigger part of their GDP to research and development and innovations than we are doing in Europe. And now during the last years, also China has been investing a bigger part of their GDP to research and development. And of course, if we want to make sure that our industry is competitive also in, in the future, and we can also tackle the big global challenges with our science, we should invest much more in the research and development. Indeed. A final question, Hannah. Are we overregulating the digital economy in Europe? And are we having too much of a policy where we go for choosing technology winners, where we basically pick the technologies that we want to succeed or that we should give a particular embrace by our regulatory structure? Yeah, I think that is always the the risk in in the European level that we are overregulating the digital market, and that is something that I'm always very much battling in the in the Parliament that we shouldn't do that, because from our Scandinavian perspective, I have to say that often the European way of regulating is a little bit heavy. How we think in the Scandinavian countries, how we are regulating, and how we would like to see the digital world to build. But anyway, I think it's better to have one European regulation, even if it's often a little bit too heavy from my perspective, than 27 different regulations in in the European level. But still, this is something that I think we should all the time look very carefully when we are setting the rules, that we shouldn't overregulate and we should keep as very technology neutral, we shouldn't pick up the winners and losers. We shouldn't regulate technology as such because technology is developing very, very fast. And we are so slowly with our regulation. So this is one of my main tasks in, in the parliament to look that we shouldn't overregulate our companies and SMEs and technologies and so on. But as you know, the European way of making legislation it's like that, that not very often everybody or anybody says that let's take these you know, articles away because everybody is putting extra all the time in, in the parliament, different committees and then the member states when they are negotiating and then when we are coming to trialogues and everybody wants to, you know, set their, their extra, extra wording to all, all the articles. So it's not often happening that we are removing something away. We are often putting a little bit extra there. Very good, Hannah. Many thanks for taking the time to join us for this webinar. It's been lovely talking to you and good luck with your work in removing more regulations from our rulebook. 